Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be focusing on laid-back breastfeeding, also known as baby-led latching, biological nurturing, or self-attachment. But no matter what you call it, this incredibly natural approach can really help you and your baby get breastfeeding off to a great start. To tell us more, I'll be talking with the ever-insightful Addie Sandink. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by The First Eight Days of Being a Mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. Today, I'm delighted to have on the show a woman who really knows all the ins and outs of breastfeeding. Throughout the years, Addie Sandink has set up several prominent lactation programs for professionals, acting as a lactation director, educator, advisor, faculty member, trainer, and facilitator. She is currently the Canadian Lactation Advisor for Kappa International, and she also works in the trenches, helping moms and babies establish a good breastfeeding relationship as a registered nurse and international board-certified lactation consultant in an active labor and delivery unit. Wow. Welcome, Ati. Welcome to you. So happy to have you here. I so I had the great opportunity of spe- of seeing you talk at a conference, and the way you explained the laid back breastfeeding and how you're actually using it and making a difference um, at the labor and the delivery unit really spoke to me, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. So, what are the key things that parents need to know when it comes to getting breastfeeding off to a good start? What what is laid back breastfeeding? Well, when I um, intertwined laid-back breastfeeding, which, of course, comes from research done by Dr. Suzanne Coulson, um, I started uh, thinking about intertwining that with the whole concept of kangaroo mother care or skin-to-skin, which kind of um, adapts together. And this should be a standard of practice right after birth. So what should parents know? I would love to see that every parent really understands this concept of the importance of skin to skin at birth um, before they've even had the baby. So this putting the baby right on the skin uh, is so important to uh, help not only their instincts, their hormonal responses, their emotional responses, and then the baby's the other end of the whole bargain and probably the more important part of the whole bargain is that the baby then stimulates his own reflexes, um, sucking and otherwise, and um, keeps warm and is covered and uh, starts the latch on his on in his own process so that the mother doesn't feel like she has to do this all alone. Mm-hmm. And so let's you you've lots of great concepts in there, so let's break them down. Um, specifically, skin to skin, we're talking no clothes, we're talking no hat, we're talking something over them. Describe it a little bit more. Yes. So as soon as the baby's born 
and even hopefully before the cord is cut so that we're not bringing the baby up too fast, the baby is put on mom's tummy. And uh, we like the idea, um, and it's research-based of the um, cords to stop pulsating. And then the cord is cut, uh, and then the baby is brought right to the midline, dorsally on the mom's tummy, uh, chest. So it's between the breast, skin to skin. Then a uh, baby is dried properly according to the neonatal resuscitation programs and um, uh, uh, curriculum. And uh, the drying is an important factor. And then uh, babies put skin to skin and put on mom's chest between breasts and then covered with warm blankets. As you say, no hat. And there's other reasons for that, to stimulate mom's uh, olfactory um, reaction as well as the baby's uh, sense of um, keeping comfortable. The, once the blankets are put on to keep the baby warm in skin to skin, and the skin helps the baby, mom's chest helps the baby to warm up, then um, we don't want the baby ever to overheat. Another reason not to wear the hat at that point. And, okay, yeah. so, and I see that hat go on vi a lot, like, sometimes people get obsessed with the hat, and make sure it doesn't fall off, and why should we not care much about the hat? Well, number one, uh, yeah, you, you the way you say we care much, um, we the hat falls off, this, that, and the other thing, um, that kind of interferes with the whole process of the baby uh, being left calmly on the mom's chest and, and warming up and the mom's warming up to meet the baby, the baby's warming up to uh, stay comfortable. Um, it's come out of a very shocky environment, just coming out of the birth canal is, or if it's cesarean section, we hope that we can do the same thing. But it's a shocky environment and the baby has to stabilize. So um, the baby's put on with a blanket or two over, warm blankets, and then the hat is nothing else touches the baby um, while it's kind of recovering so that so that it can go through its stages before it actually has to breastfeed. Tell us a little bit more about those stages in terms of maybe not necessarily go through all the stages, but what they mean or what we were referring to when you talk about stages. Because so before I got into this whole world of birth and became a doula and and really started accumulating knowledge which is endless um I had no idea about the baby stages and I think a lot of new moms don't know about the baby stages or don't know about um the laid-back breastfeeding which we're talking about so can you just shed a light of what are these stages what that our newborns aren't as um, helpless as we think they are well that that's a good really good way of putting it uh, that um uh, the whole idea that baby have stages to go through. Um, the most important thing, well, not the most important, each one has an equal um, uh, important uh, step. But uh, initially, we hear that birth cry. And already, parents are a little bit afraid of hearing their baby cry. So we want to emphasize that that cry is important and helps to do the big changes that uh, ha happens to the lungs and the heart uh, in that first minute. Um, it's not a cry that is screeching, you know, screaming and all that kind of stuff. It's just a, sometimes it's not even a real hard cry of any kind. 
but you can see that the baby transforms beautiful by the color that it uh, pinks up to. Then it takes uh, it takes a rest. After that cry, it just takes a rest as if, oh, I'm here. Now what? I have to just recuperate. And nobody should be talking too loud. It should be a nice, quiet uh, atmosphere. Mom and dad can do a little bit of chatting. Um to the baby and you know touching the baby but it shouldn't be the caregivers that are interfering I indication a real medical indication and then the baby starts to suckle on its fist or things like that but as and goes back to resting phase a couple of times during that resting phase too what else is happening is that it's uh, clearing its lungs on its own um, and and at the same time, increasing its own temperature. But the clearing of the lungs is a very important part. And so the bubbles come out of the baby's mouth. Some people are inclined to want to suction that baby. That should be left alone. Nothing should go into the baby's oral passage uh, that's invasive and will impact on breastfeeding later on. And So oh, I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. I have lots of questions coming in. And as we go through the process... With the suction, so what if it's hospital policy and, like, can you say don't do it? Is this – how can parents navigate that That's a very moment? good question. If the baby lets out that good birth cry, there's no need for suctioning. And the new uh, – it's actually a couple of years old already – neonatal resuscitation uh, programs are teaching no suctioning um, – at all, unless there's um, meconium, which is the baby's first poo, if it's very thick in the baby and the baby cannot cry, then resuscitation has to occur. But if the baby cries and there's no other factors, that baby should not no longer be suctioned. And that's the uh, North American guidelines. So parents can ask about what have you been, are you up to date on the no, new resuscitation guidelines? And this is something they should talk to their care providers about before it's the birth. Probably very important. <laughs> yeah. Good. Maybe even something to include in their birth plan, if they have one. Yeah, and now that kind of, yeah, not a bad idea. You're making me think now too on my feet here or on my seat. Uh, <laughs> um, I have this question, little wondering, birth plans are often received in labor and delivery with a skepticism. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of, yeah, no, always discussing it and say, you know, do you do general suctioning in your labor and delivery? Is that uh, standard practice or have you moved beyond just allowing the baby to let the mucus go? And if they get, yes, we still do suctioning. Um. Just say, can can that not be included in my baby's uh, stand uh, practice? Because um, I would like to. See if I realize how crucial that first minute is. Mm -hmm. That first minute is very crucial to my baby as well, and suctioning can impact breastfeeding. Okay, good. That's that's a great tip and trick for parents, for new moms to to know, um, and. You before we all move on. Also, you mentioned that the, when they give that first cry, they change color and pink up. And I think not very many moms realize that when a baby comes out, usually they're kind of blue. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. Yes, and that's that's a very important factor. Um, 
And that's another reason to have delayed cord clamping, not because of the blue, but then it gets more hemoglobin back into its system. And that itself uh, pinks it up more. And mm -hmm. uh, But just leaving that baby in that first minute, that's why APGAR scores are not really done until after that first minute. So it's at one minute and at five minutes and if necessary at 10 minutes. And the APGAR score is just to see uh, the health of the baby. So we're looking at respirations, heartbeat, reflexes, um, color and that kind of thing so that we can, that's always done. And it's not a score to tell babies are being smart or anything like that. It's just a health score. Mm -hmm. And just like a general assessment. Yeah. Cool. And okay, so the minute's gone by, there's the cry, the baby has had time to rest and continue to lead us on the process. And then after that, uh, if baby's left quietly alone, um, just keep what the baby should be watched by caregivers. And usually in that time, there are many people in the delivery room, or if it's a home birth, the midwives are watching that baby as well. Um, and dad's watching because dad's talking or some, or the doula's watching and talking to the baby, but it should be mostly the parents that the baby has heard um, for nine months. And as that baby it keeps kind of moving its head around. But that first stage of rest after the birth cry can last quite a few minutes just for recovery. And it, it depending on how hard that birth was and how much, how long the pushing was and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, then the baby starts to settle in and starts to peek up at who his parents are and things like that and reacting to voice and talking, you know, and starting to kind of make little noises itself. Occasionally I'll hear another cry, but then it starts to put its fist in the mouth. And a lot of people want to jump the gun and say, oh, he's hungry. He's hungry now. But what happens there is the baby's just starting to initiate its own reflexes for suck. And then as it initiates that suck reflex, it will rub its head back and forth on mom's chest between the breasts. At all times, one must be careful to watch that the baby doesn't put the face right down into the chest and stay there. It can move back and forth and be face down. But if the baby's had, a, or if the mom's had quite a bit of medication or sedation in, that, in labor, then those babies we have to watch a little more closely because they're, they may not be able to lift their head and clear it as well. But a normal baby will clear its head back and forth, back and forth, and then start to work towards one breast, think better of it, rest a little bit, and maybe go to the other breast. <laughs> you know, the babies, we can't quite predict what they're going to do, but they certainly do know what they're doing, generally speaking, if they're not too sedated. And then eventually they, they do get to the breast. And that whole process may take about um, 75 minutes, 60 to 70 minutes. It doesn't really, there's no hurry there. The only hurry comes is in the hospital. Occasionally, um, we usually like after birth, if the mom stitched up, uh, let's get the baby, mom and baby over to postpartum wing. That, that is kind of frustrating. So then you have to hurry the process a bit more. Occasionally when they're at the sucking stage and they need a little guidance, we will help them, um, but never shoving their head on. 
that we really have to watch that we're never pushing baby's head um, behind the head or anything like that, causing it to be frightened and be possibly uh, feel like it's going to suffocate. So we have to stay away from holding the head so, so much. We can support the head, but not hold it and then guide that. Baby should imprint that ba its own tongue first on uh, the breast, on the amniotic fluid that might still be on the chest or that's come out of his own uh, uh, stomach and out of his lungs and things like that and is on the mom's chest. And it smells it on its own hands and fists. And as it moves that towards that and sucks on the fist, then it starts to move to the breast and um, accomplishes a nice latch. But mm -hmm. that imprinting is so important. The, so important. And, and one of the things that I learned along the way that I thought was fascinating as well is that the um, and the breasts have glands that produce a scent similar to the amniotic fluid. Mm -hmm. That can help guide the baby. You know, it's, he's baby's so familiar with that smell that not only the contrast of dark and, and you know darker nipples and and lighter skin that gives him a bullseye, but because it actually the uh, we we find that it's not even so much what they're looking at or what their eyes are seeing. It's pretty much directed by sense of smell and taste. So it would even suck if a dad was sitting up and mom couldn't do skin to skin. That baby would slowly rotate to the dad's flat chest and want to suck there as well um, because that's his instinct to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that my second tip would be don't worry about the nipples. If the baby has not seen any other nipples uh, that are beautifully uh, pointed out and latchable and everything, he'll latch on anything because they have a good suck instinct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that reminds me of... What can we give as a tip or recommendation to, say, moms that have a C-section where that first hour gets more interrupted? Yeah. Um, what the, our standard of practice in the hospital I work at, and which I hope they are doing much more, and I hear they are doing much more in other hospitals nearby, is that... Uh, the baby's looked at, everything's fine, baby's given to dad. If dad can do skin to skin, that would be great. But on the other hand, maybe not skin to skin if they're not doing skin to skin C-sections yet, which is coming, uh, then dad should be holding the baby uh, right near mom's face so they can kiss each other and get that sniff sense of smell already going between the two and the eyes looking at each other, that gazing in the mom's eyes is, is really quite important as well. So in that first hour until um, after it's born, then usually after when um, mom and da dad and baby are taken to a recovery room so they can cuddle there and that could be done skin to skin or should be done skin to skin and warm again, a warm blanket put over baby and dad without the hat. Um, and then mom gets finished up in the OR and gets brought to recovery room. In most hospitals where the recovery room is on labor and delivery uh, department, then that um, baby and mom can go skin to skin right as soon as the mom gets into recovery room, even when vital signs of mom are being taken and everything, barring any medical complications. 
but typically that can be done fairly soon. Um, but again, it, mums have to be prepared for this because they might be so overwhelmed by the whole process of the C-section that, and they are probably a bit tender and all that kind of stuff, or really sore. Um, if they're prepared, I find that the mums do want to focus more on the skin to skin and kind of are not aware of all the other pains they're feeling because they really want to cuddle that baby skin to skin. And that is very important. It changes the whole pain perception uh, a lot. Okay. So the focus is primarily, in that case, in skin to skin and let that be the guide for however long more than getting more focused on trying to get the baby to latch and feed? Yeah. But it would be nice that the imprinting occurs again in that session uh, where the baby can uh, at least lick its tongue on mom and uh, towards the breast and get at least with the bum, uh, tongue over the mom's nipple and areola. But first, that skin-to-skin, midline, dorsal, chest, uh, baby, chest-to-mom's chest is really important. Um, okay. Yeah. I want to try to picture it more. So basically, you're saying the ideal, regardless of, of how the birth went, of having, and if baby has no complications and everything's going well, um, have baby's head sort of between mom's breasts and then not going across the belly. Because usually you find that nurses try to position babies belly to belly, but more lying across um, the chest, like from side to side, yeah. instead of vertically. Vertically is probably the most warm, the warmest spot for the baby. That's where the heat. And if anybody reads anything or sees anything, uh, but from the research of Dr. Niels Bergman, they will see that the heat area is right uh, in the chest area, right between the breast. That's the warmest part of the mum, and so that's where. We try to do the skin to skin. Now, secondary to that, if they're doing uh, birth skin to skin after C-section, which uh, some hospitals are doing, um, they'll slide the baby up under the drape and the baby comes in that same position up to mom. Slowly then the baby might be put across if, it, if the feet are uh, interfering. But mm -hmm. the warmest area is in between the breasts. And it's better than a warmer, right? Absolutely better than a warmer. And also for those babies, often if a C-section has occurred or anything like that, that baby might be more at risk because it's had a C-section for a reason, uh, for having dropping its blood sugars. And if the baby's in that position, a mum warms up quicker and uh, there's a better stabilization of baby's blood sugar, which is one of the first things that everybody wants to give formula for. If the blood sugars are low, babies need formula. Never mind that moms often have colostrum that can be expressed for the baby. And especially if it's been skin to skin in um, that position, the hormones react quite responsively and breast milk or colostrum can be expressed very easily if the baby cannot latch by himself. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, say, even if baby had to go to um, a NICU or an observation area, would the mom still be able to do something like that, like hand express or express and 
at request that that be fed to her baby? Yes, and I've been able to uh, see that personally quite often and getting mom expressing at on the delivery table or if with my their permission, I will express some uh, and we'll bring that over to the baby as soon as possible. The blood, the key to the blood sugar testing is that normal routines usually say the blood sugar should be done within two hours of birth. But so often we're doing the blood sugar a bit sooner. And that might make all the difference that the blood sugar is a little lower because baby and mom haven't warmed up to, to, uh, to greet each other. Mm-hmm. So tell me, so you've been, how long have you been at the uh, a nurse at labor and delivery? Well, off and on for, um, I started there and then I'm now finishing there. <laughs> okay. And was a labor, uh, and am a labor deliver, uh, lactation consultant in between. But um, probably a good 25 years off and on. So is there a story related to laid-back breastfeeding or this initiation of uh, breastfeeding that really sticks out in your mind? Um, well, I've, the fact, when I came back to working in, in labor and delivery again, I realized how that laid-back, just putting the baby on a little higher um, or putting mom up at about a 30 to 40 degree angle, but no higher than that, that baby's actually self-latched and mom's who were so tired with their arms from pushing and everything that the baby actually did the work and made its reflexes start to work. The feet are part of the reflexes. The hands are part of the reflex. The contour of the mom's body is part of that laid back reflex to help the baby latch. And it just seems to do it uh, beautifully on its own. So not only in labor and delivery, but in my general practice in, uh, uh, in my clinic, or in home visits, uh, babies who may not have latched for three or four days or even three or four weeks, we put them in that calming position of uh, uh, skin to skin between the chest. And before you know it, that baby is starting to root on its own. And we've had so often had the baby latch and the mom saying, oh, it did it all by himself. How come I didn't have to hold the breast and wait for the wide mouth and take step one, step two, step three? No, the baby, I said, well, you know, that's the baby's instinct. Will it always work? Well, no, sometimes we guide it a little bit more than other times, but generally let that first thing happen so that both mom and baby feel empowered. And I think that it is so beautiful to watch a baby self-latch. And it's important that one of the, th- you said many important things, but one of them that I want to stress is that even if the self-latching doesn't happen during that first golden hour. Um, it can happen several days after where that imprinting, meaning if you don't get it in that first hour, it doesn't mean that you've lost. No, no. And that's where um, as soon as possible, like if a baby has to go to the NICU or the special care nursery, um then as soon as the baby stabilizes, if it goes skin to skin before anybody puts anything else into the baby's mouth, that baby again will go through that imprinting process and want to suck. That's that's fascinating that you there is a do-over. <laughs> yeah, Basically. and I think as doulas, I find that you folks are really important in that process as well because you may be the one consistent person uh, that the parents have. Um, 
that they already know and have met before, because that's very important. But again, it is the parents uh that the baby knows the best and the parents touch and voices. So all we, any of us as professionals are, we guide, we don't do necessarily. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's that being the parents advocates. Yeah. Um, give them the space so they can come to their realization of what they want to do and, and, and safe and secure that space so that they can get the best start. Yes, exactly. So, what about for preemies? Um, how does laid back breastfeeding work with preemies? Well, I think uh, we can call it any name we want, whether it's laid back breastfeeding or skin to skin or kangaroo care. Um, in in the premature world and in, in NICUs, they should make an area that is easily accessible for when babies can come to mom to be skin to skin, that the mom is actually in a chair that reclines nicely and mom is rested even if she hasn't got if she has a cesarean section and often that's the case um, that she's comfortable and resting back and the baby feels that comfort that the mom is feeling and then the baby slowly works his way to the nuzzling of the breast does it have to suckle at that point right away well surprise surprise they may um Often there's this thing that's said to moms in with NICU babies is, oh, the, the sucking is going to tire that baby out. Well, actually, no, it's not the sucking. that There's no proof that the sucking causes the baby to tire out. Uh, once a baby is left alone, undisturbed in skin to skin, even if it has all the monitor systems in place, that's how they can watch. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> They can watch that the baby's uh, oxygen levels are returning back to normal. Mm-hmm. Oxygenation occurs well. And then they can just watch the baby. A baby who, who's on CPAP or <clears throat> is uh, on a respirator, they should not be attempting breastfeeding or anybody should not be trying to have that baby breastfeed because it's not stable enough. Um, but that baby can stabilize nicely in skin to skin and still have a respirator or CPAP on. This is done in other uh, places, but there's a safe way of doing it. And that has to be kept in mind. So is everybody prepared to do that in a very calm and safe manner? Um, That's the part that's still in the learning phases, I think. But if a baby is no longer needing respiratory help, then those babies should be allowed to be skin to skin as much as possible, even if they're tiny little babies. The monitors can stay on so that nursing nurses and doctors can be comfortable that that baby's still okay. Certainly the first 10 minutes of baby readjusting to that new space of, on mom's chest, there might be a little bit more beeping and bopping of all the machinery, but then the baby and mom settle in and the baby's warmed up in the skin to skin position with a cover on, and uh, um, they just need time to relax. Beautiful. And this skin-to-skin, regardless of being preemie or of not being preemie, it's something that is just not limited to that first moments after birth, but the moms are encouraged to do it also once they get home? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do they always have to go skin-to-skin? If the baby isn't latching well, skin-to-skin is still... I would say a very good way to keep that baby oriented to the breast and in its own 
habitat, as Dr. Bergman used, always says, um, and it, it kept there. Now, once the baby has been latching and is doing quite well, then some of those babies like to have a sleeper on, feel a little warmer, but still have his, its head on the mom's chest area, still up and down usually. And then they will do their own little guidance of wanting, when showing their inclination to want to feed. And again, at that point is when I say, well, some babies are too sleepy to feed. Well, you know, when it's about time for a baby to feed, instead of taking all the blankets off and making that baby cold and putting cold cloths on their heads, um, the best thing for that mom to do is put that baby, open the chest area of the sleeper, put it on mom's skin to skin, um, you know, more or less skin to skin. And so it can wake up slowly sniffing and smelling mom and where the breast is instead of all the um the things that we always like to do is rub the baby and wake the baby up just keep the area calm and that baby will latch much more effectively mm -hmm. and let the scent do it just like we wake up when there's coffee brewing <laughs> well yeah i suppose you could put it that way <laughs> <laughs> oh addy how can people get in contact with you or follow you or what are you up to these days that um, if they want to contact you and ask you questions, is that okay? Oh, how absolutely. how would they do that? Yeah, absolutely. People do that. Um, they either, um, my website is not too good, so but they have been finding me on website. Um, but my Facebook page, Birth and Baby Needs, um, is very active. And they can get me at my email address, a-T-T-I-E dot Sandink, S-A-N-D-I-N-K, at gmail.com. Or they can also call me at 289-244-0442. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your all your knowledge and being so grateful, graceful sharing it with us. And it's been a delight having you on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. And um, we'll just stay in touch. Yes, thank you very much. And do this all for moms and babies. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. Or if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, tell me. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. Even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another wonderful birth pro to help inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.